Father God, we thank you for who you are and what you do, Father. Lord, I, I just stop. More importantly, who you are. God, that you are holy, that you are good, that you are worthy of our praise. And Lord, that we can even come to you in, in moments like this. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that privilege. Lord, I just pray um, for all these things that we've brought. Um, Lord, you already know. already know exactly what's going on in the lives of those we're concerned for and we're praying for, God. And you know what needs there are. And Lord, you are going to meet needs. So God, I pray, Lord, tonight, as we hear these things, God, maybe you can use us um, in these requests. Maybe there's something you want to do through us, God, to to reach out to these that are hurting, uh, these that are going through cancer and, and going through tough times in their life. Father, would you just show us how we can how we can minister to those around us? And God, not just pray for them. God, that we can that we can serve them. God, we thank you for praise reports that we've heard tonight. God, we, we recognize that, that, that you move and you work, and Lord, um, we just want to be just show our gratitude to, to the things that you've done in our lives, and I'm sure there's many other things, God, that you're doing and working out for us, God, and uh, we just give you the praise for those things. Oh, we pray for, um, for Billy Graham's family, God. What, what a legacy. Father, a man that has touched many lives, God, Lord, my prayer is this, that even his death will touch many more. And God, I pray that you would use us in the same way, or to continue to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. God, you want to use us too. So Father, I pray that we would not stop, that we would not quit. God, we thank you for what you've taught us these last few weeks and what you're going to teach us tonight. I pray, God, that this would not just be something for to fill our heads with knowledge, but God, this would be something that would transform our hearts. And Lord, how we talk to you and how we come to you, Father, in prayer. Lord, transform our prayer lives, God. Lord, make them powerful, God, as we begin to trust and believe in you and and who you are and what you do, Father. God, we thank you, God, for for, um, a church that, that believes, a church that goes. Thank you for those that have committed to go and to take the gospel to the nations. Lord, thank you for those that are willing. Thank you for those that we have on the ground that are, that are sharing the gospel daily with, with friends and neighbors. God, I pray that you would just encourage them and, and continue to use them, Father, in a mighty way. God, again, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you've allowed us to do. And we give you the praise and the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to. I need to go ahead and start start this video, so we'll have some time. Um, so I'm just going to kind of let them introduce it, uh, and we'll continue on with the last section of the Lord's Prayer. Watch this with me. Welcome back to our final session on the Lord's Prayer. Today we're looking at Jesus' words. These powerful words: "Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one." He's talking about sin, and he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the fact that he wants us to have victory over both. You know, by nature, we are sinful individuals, and we also live in a world that we can see, but there's this other world out here that we don't see, 
It's filled with angels, it's filled with demons, and it's filled even with the devil. The Bible says the whole world, this evil world system is under the power of the evil one. But we are Christians, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, we're not like the world. And so we need to pray every day, oh God, don't let me give in to sin today. Lord, don't let me de be defeated today by the forces of the evil one. That's what Jesus is wanting you to experience. He wants you to experience victory. He wants you to be an overcomer. First John says, greater is he who is in us than he that is where? In the world. So that's what Jesus is wanting you to pray. It's gonna be a great study, and I pray that you'll be blessed as you look at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored. Honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today. Our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. You know, the idea of asking God not to lead us into temptation uh, in some instances can be confusing because you're thinking, well, my goodness, is it possible that God would lead me into temptation? And the answer to that is no. Uh, James chapter one is very clear. God tempts no one. So any thinking along those lines would be out of bounds. What we're in essence acknowledging is we live in a broken, fallen world where uh, opportunities for sin uh, surround us. And therefore, we're asking God to guide us and direct us away from those areas of temptation, away from those areas of sin. So when we ask him to do that, that's what we're doing. We don't have to fear, oh, if we don't pray this, he's going to throw me into an area uh, where he wants me to sin or is trying to get me to sin. No, that's not the case at all. Furthermore, I would say this. What God intends as a trial, Satan often intends as a temptation to sin. In other words, you can take the same event... And Satan's goal is to make you sin. God's goal is to help you grow in your discipleship and your sanctification. So in a real sense, how you respond is crucial and key in terms of living out this particular aspect of prayer. When I'm praying this kind of a prayer, I'm praying that I wouldn't, I wouldn't get caught up in the stuff that the devil is camouflaging as okay. Because I think that's his greatest trick. I think he gets us to buy into the lie that this sin is okay because it's not a big sin. And I think that's the way temptation works. I think it's, it's getting you to accept the fact that you can be a Christian and do this at the same time. And so while, when we're praying this, you know, me personally, I'm praying that, God, I would be able to recognize the stuff that the devil is camouflaging because the evil one hates me. He wants to destroy me. We all know John 10.10. 10. We understand that he is on the prowl, and he hates us. And so with that understanding, with that realization, I have to understand that he may not be able to get me with the big stuff, but if he can get me to be okay with the small stuff, then I'm in big trouble. And so may we all pray that, that we'd be able to recognize the stuff that the devil is camouflaging so that we don't fall into the evil schemes of the devil himself. I believe that God knows that we live in a fallen world. I know that uh, even Jesus Christ was tempted, and uh, everybody is tempted. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are, yet without sin. So every one of us is tempted. God knows that we live in that fallen world. 
He's given us free choice. He's given us the ability to say yes or no. And I believe that it's a, a daily prayer. It's to begin your day in that prayer because he talks about give us this day our daily bread. So I believe you're to pray at the beginning of your day. Go through your schedule and say, Lord, all the way through my schedule, if there's anything that just comes up, dear God, help me to be able to stand against it. But Lord, if it be thy will, I pray that you would lead me not into temptation. Lord, keep me away from the temptation so that I won't give in to the sin. I'm so glad that the that quintessential prayer actually includes the concept of evil because I think in our culture we have caricaturized evil. You know, we think of the devil in a red unitard with horns. And by emasculating evil, we are not doing ourselves any good. I grew up in Central Florida, and there are alligators everywhere. And my little brother used to, to used to get gators. That was one of the things we did. We were bored rednecks. But he would judge a gator by the width of his eyes at night. It would shine a light out of the boat. And then he'd jump on the smaller ones and wrap their snouts with duct tape because a gator has no muscles in opening his mouth or very few. The, the real strength of a gator's bite is in snapping down. So you can just wind a few straps of duct tape. Even a big gator, they can't open their mouth. But you still have to be careful, even though they can't bite their tails are so powerful they can break your legs with a tail so if they'd be in the back of the truck we still wouldn't touch the gator's tail because he could kill you with his tail I think of the enemy like that you know in Revelation God refers to to the enemy to that purveyor of evil Satan as a dragon and I think Revelation 12 says he has a mortal wound he's got a sword in his breast but I always think of him in the context of this massive alligator he's still got his tail and his tail can knock us for a loop. So I think as Christ followers, it behooves us not to emasculate evil, but to recognize we've got to be wary of the tail because he's trying to take us out. And yet we don't have to fear that he will win because the end of the battle has already been spoken. God wins. So holiness wins. We just have to be aware that he'd like to wallop us in the meantime before God calls us home. When Jesus talks about evil and delivering us from the evil one. I think the battle for that is in our minds. That's why we have to renew our mind. That's why we put on the helmet of salvation. Because if I don't know for sure that I have a relationship with Christ, if I don't know who I am in Christ, then the evil one is constantly, constantly telling me lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so... For God to deliver me, guess what? I've, I've got to know what he says. I've got to have answers. I can't just say, hey, don't bother me. The devil doesn't. The only thing that Jesus confronted the temptation with was the word of God. And so to deliver us from evil one is one way of saying, have I done my Bible study? Am I in the word on a daily basis? Do I, do I know what some news guy said, do I know the latest tweet that's trending of the day, or do I know God has said this in his word? And we meet the temptation with the word of God. I mean, the devil tempts us in basically three ways. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. I saw, I coveted, I took. With David, I saw, I coveted, I took. I mean, the devil doesn't have a very broad range of attacks, and it's not like it's rocket science. What I tell people, when, when you pray and somebody comes to me and says, I'm just having a problem, I can't get freedom from this, I can't get deliverance from this, uh, I'm in bondage to this, you know, I keep asking God to forgive me over and over for doing this, 
I just asked them, where are you in the Word? What's God said to you? Where are you claiming the promises of God? Because with the promises of God come the power of God, and the Holy Spirit is behind those promises. So the power to live in light of those promises and those truths is in walking with God and having the mind of Christ. When we pray that the Lord would deliver us from the evil one, we, we are reminding ourselves that this is a real entity in the world that seeks to do us harm. But we're also reminding ourselves of the fact that ultimately we really do need the Lord's deliverance from the evil one. We are weak and we are frail creatures, and all of us are capable of immense evil. If we ever come to the point where we look at something that someone else has done and we think to ourselves, that could never happen to me, then we are standing on the edge of a cliff ready to be pushed over. We need deliverance because we can't deliver ourselves. So Jesus told us to pray and ask the Lord in faith that he would deliver us from the evil one. And of course, we know that being delivered from the evil one day by day is really just a foreshadowing of the fact that in the gospel, God has already delivered us from evil. We are sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit in our lives. So in an ultimate sense, the work of Christ is finished. He has delivered us from the evil one. And now we're praying on a daily basis that we would recognize the evil that's around us and that the Lord would exercise that deliverance in an immediate way, the same way that he has done in an ultimate way through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So when Jesus challenges us at the end to pray for him to deliver us from evil, I think he's talking about the evil one. And whether it's the devil himself that is instrumental in influencing our lives or he's using two or three other things, it's always the root from him. You gotta realize there are three forces in this world that are affecting us as believers. The devil himself, the world, and the flesh. And that's why it's vitally important for us as Christians to depend upon God and, I think more than this, to preach to ourselves. Because if we're not preaching to ourselves the gospel and praying the gospel, reminding ourselves the identity of who we are in Christ, the world is always doing that. The devil is always doing that. Now, the devil is probably not tempting us personally uh, because that, we're not that big of a deal, right? He's not omnipresent, and so we know he's not everywhere. So we know that he's not tempting us personally, but the system is tempting us. And so I think it's a constant reminder to pray and ask God independence to deliver us from things. Why? Because he's promised that. Uh, in the book of Corinthians, there is no temptation that will overcome you that you'll not have a way out. And so while God allows us to be tried and tested, he always gives us a way out. And that's the divine instrument that God uses to bring us into the image of his son. And so I think what God's saying is, yes, life will be hard, but don't forget to call out to me. And don't do it after it's too late. You know, if you're like me at times, I wait until it's too late. God's kind of a last resort. What could happen if God's the first call we make, the first cry we make? Uh, I think Jesus said that would be a biblical way to pray. The attitude or posture that I take when I'm asking the Lord not to lead me into temptation but to deliver me from evil is an understanding that I am absolutely dependent upon him. 
I can do nothing apart from Christ. And so I have to be filled with his spirit. And one of the things I love to do is to utilize the articles of the tabernacle or the temple as just my personal quiet time, kind of my roadmap. And so I begin by offering myself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And then I go to the laver and I ask him to wash me and cleanse me with his word. And as he washes and cleanses me, he reveals to me any sin in my own life that I need to continue to ask forgiveness for because it's those open doors to the enemy that caused me to fall into a trap set by the evil one. So if I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he reveals to me any unconfessed sin in my life so that I can be forgiven, so that I'm walking blamelessly with the Lord. And I love to, when I teach women, I tell them, you're not going to be perfect, but you can't be blameless because the scripture calls some humans blameless. And it just means we're walking with all revealed sin confessed and cleansed. So we can walk blamelessly with the Lord. You know, the part of the Lord's Prayer that I personally gravitate to most when I, when I pray it, uh, that I just find myself clinging to, is that phrase, Lord, bring us not into temptation, but deliver me, deliver us from the evil one. Because I realize that, uh, let's just say this, the longer that I, I live with J.D. Greer, the less impressed I grow with him. And when I see, um, I see people that have, are, are much more impressive than me, that, that get caught up in some temptation, I know that if it's not for God's protective, prevenient grace with me that I will destroy my life, I will destroy my family. I've seen enough of me that I, I'm scared of that. And I find myself daily wanting to cling to God, will you save me from me? God, will you keep these um, things in my heart from, from growing and taking over? God, I'm so dependent on your grace. I, I was reading um, uh, the letters of John Newton. John Newton, of course, is a guy who wrote Amazing Grace. and. Um, I think he was 86 years old when he penned some of these letters, and he, he was talking to a friend of his about how, in one sense, discouraged he was that at 86 years old, the temptations that had plagued his life were not growing more dim, they were growing stronger. And I thought, like, I, I thought, at 86? I mean, I would think by that point, I would just be like, all right, let's just, you know, love Jesus and get, you know, whatever. But um, he said that, that what I, he says, I, I'm convinced now that growth in grace is not growing to a point where you no longer realize how much you need grace, but growing to a point where you realize how badly you do need grace. And what God wants to do in your life is put you in a posture where you find yourself desperately clinging to, Lord, bring me not into temptation. A lot of people, a lot of Christians are going to think that when you really get spiritually mature, you won't really have to pray that phrase that much because I'm kind of immune to temptation. I, um, that is a complete ignorance of the sanctification process. For until we are 86 years old, until we are 186 years old, we are going to be saying, God, I need you to save me from myself. And if it's not for your grace in my life, then I would be doomed. But your grace is dependable. And when I say, bring me not a temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, I know that you will answer that every single time. When I come to the Lord in prayer and I ask him to deliver me from evil or the evil one or when I ask him just to help me in temptation. I probably I probably should say it more literally, like whether it's lead or bring, but a lot of times I just say, Lord, help me in this temptation or deliver me from this temptation, uh, shield me from it. And I think that when we come to the Lord with that posture, it is, n it is nothing if it is not first a posture of humility. Because basically what I'm saying is, Lord, I am not strong enough. I do not have the goodness inside myself to contend with this. I cannot do this on my own. I'm weak. And uh, I can so quickly and so easily succumb to sin 
and 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 at times sin that would take my my life ultimately I mean it's just that's how weak we are and so I'm when I come to the Lord in that way I feel like um, it's just a real posture of humility saying Lord you are Savior you are good infuse your righteousness in me and and deliver me from this almost 10 years ago my wife of 25 years we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary and uh, she was killed in a car accident and I entered onto a new battlefield that um, I was only prepared for by God's grace. And uh, what I found was that the enemy is cruel and he is sadistic and he's a pervert and he will attack you even at your weakest, most vulnerable moment. But the Lord was with me and his power and his rod and his staff not only comforted me, but they comforted me because he was able to defeat the enemy in my life. Uh, I am sitting here a miracle of God's grace. Uh, thoughts of self-murder, thoughts of running, thoughts of fleeing, uh, to, but, but I knew the Spirit would always speak to me and coach me, if you will, through this whole process that, that there was nowhere to run. The pain was me, the pain was my soul, and yet, you know, I was comforted. I had a, I had a student ask me, uh, a seminary student asked me about a month after Tammy died. He said, uh, did, your, um, did your view of God's uh, sovereignty help you or hurt you when Tammy died? And I heard myself answering him. I said, yes. It utterly devastated me that God would let me hurt that bad. And yet it utterly comforted me that he was with me in the battle. Uh, God does not, he, he's not an absentee landlord, he is Lord. And he is on that field with me in my struggle. This is, this is huge, a, a huge part of the prayer because it, it ultimately shows us how we get to glorify God this side of eternity. And it's through the battles, it's through the struggles of our life. And 10 years later, I stand here only by the grace of God. And God has been faithful to me through all of this, and I give him glory for his goodness to me in the land of the living. And uh, I, I, <clears throat> it's a new trajectory of my life. I never imagined that, uh, that God would change my heart the way he has to the degree that I don't want to be what I was before. And what I was before by any standard of people who love me and know me would say was, was not bad, but it wasn't finished. And, and God has just been so gracious and so good. Um, and and I, I believe he's, he makes us to be warriors and he made us for the battle, whatever your battle is. And uh, he will be with you and he will energize you and he will give you strength. You will never face a temptation or a struggle that, and you will face them. I mean, people say all the time, and it's heretical, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. No, God often gives you more than you can handle because otherwise you would not trust him. You would not seek him. You would not need him. And so he will lead you onto those places and he will use you to overcome the enemy and to defeat him to his shield.
glad they ended with that story. Just hearing how someone overcomes even the trials and the tests that we go through. And um, Let me grab something. I, I find it interesting, and I wrote on your sheet there as, as I dug through this study, and as I looked at this last phrase, you would think this would be pretty easy, but I told Pastor, and I think I told Steve this, I, I struggled through this. Um, and, and I've had people even tell me before, you say, well, how does he say lead us not in temptation if God doesn't tempt us? Because everybody in here probably knows that, right? We know that scripture. But I find it interesting that the word temptation in the Greek has two senses, a negative and a positive, and they use the same word. I sit there and scratch my head several times going, why? Why would we use a word that oftentimes we relate to being bad, but yet it can be good? I'll never forget, there's certain things that I taught students uh, throughout my time, and many things that I forgot, that I don't remember what I taught, but there's certain things that I do remember, and I never forget one time, and I remember this very clearly, very vividly, that I taught many times, that I told our students that temptation is not bad. We need to get past that and understand, even as adults, that temptation can be good in the right mind, and with the results. Look at this. I put the, the definition here. You'll fill in the blank here. It says this. In a positive sense, temptation means a test or a trial. And in a negative sense means an enticement to sin, whether arising from inward desires or from outward circumstances. And we're going to look at the book of James in chapter 1 at a couple of different verses to kind of explain this. And then we're going to look at a couple other verses and things and practical ways that we can fight off temptation that we don't, are not enticed to sin. So I want you to, I want you to go with me first to, I want you to turn to James chapter one. It's on the, your page if you don't have your Bibles, but you can also turn there because I want you to maybe highlight some things if you haven't already highlighted this passage. But, but I want you to go there and I'm gonna read a couple of different things because when we talk about this, this positive sense of temptation that God does allow testing and trials in our life. Would you agree with that? We've, we've all experienced that, and we've read about it. In, in Genesis chapter 22, 1, um, it says this. Well, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Here I am. He replied, Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. What? <laughs> I was sitting there... I, that, that verse, actually, I, I read with Jackson last night. And he goes, Dad, would you do that to me? <laughs> and I said, son, it's time to go to bed. Some days? No, just kidding. Deuteronomy 8, 2. Listen, listen to this. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to what? Test you. This is, this is probably more famous. Listen to this one. Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the who? The spirit into the desert to be what? Tempted. So God, you're telling me that you do tempt me in a sense. That God does test us and, and, and gives us trials in life. And I, and I love how James puts it here in James chapter one. Um, verses two through four, first off, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How many in here have met trials of various kinds? 
How many this week have met a trial of various kinds? There's something going on in our life. There's something that is stretching us, something that is, that is teaching us or testing us to, to, the, to the very ends. And then he says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, this perseverance, this endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love what Ed Litton said at the end. He said, God wasn't finished. And this is what we're talking about here. James is saying, listen, when, when testing comes, when, the, when this temptation in the positive sense comes from God and he begins to test us, he begins to, to put us through the fire, what he's doing is he's finishing us. He's completing us. He's perfecting us, helping us so that we lack and we're not deficient of anything. So in a sense that temptation is not bad. So when we read, lead us not a temptation, we start all these questions going, why would Jesus even put that in there? Because God's not obviously gonna lead us into temptation. But we have to understand this word temptation and what, what we're talking about here. And he even says in verse 12, I have it here down in James 1, 12, blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Can I just say real quick before we move on to, to the other sense of temptation that when we stand these trials, remember this, that there is a promise from God that we will receive the crown of life. I, I, I wanna read, read something to you real quick. Write this down. I just read this this week, studying through Romans, I told you. And in Romans chapter eight, came upon a verse. Romans eight. Oh, my pages are stuck together. Here it is. Listen to this. Eight, verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, there's not one of us in this room that has ever experienced the sufferings that Paul has experienced. Am I right? But Paul still at the same time says, you know what? The sufferings that I've experienced are nothing compared to what God's gonna do in me and reveal to me when glory comes. So these testings and trials, we can stand firm. I, I was reminded today from somebody, remember we talked about the voice of martyrs. I forget his name. I, I taught about it. What's that? Yeah, Warmbrand. He was the founder of Voice of Martyrs. He was persecuted for his faith. The movie's coming out of his life in, in a couple months. I think maybe March. And, and, and I'm reminded of the stories of him as, as he continued to pray in his solitary confinement and the guard would come over every time and say, are you still praying? He says, yes. And he'd take him and he'd beat him and whip his feet and, and all these things. And he finally asked him, Who are you, what are you praying for? He said, I'm praying for you. Paul says, in light of all these present sufferings, it is nothing compared to what God is going to reveal to us. And I think we need to hold on that when we do experience trials and tests like this, we know that only God is working in us to perfect us and to complete us and to finish us. And that we will be lacking nothing. Yes. Amen. Amen. I, I think, you know what, it's through the test where we come to really know and experience God. I, I don't think if, I, if I'd have lost my dad four years ago, 
I'd be where I am today. Not saying that in a bragging way, but saying that in a thankful way. That because of what God did in the testing and the trial of that experience, I am stronger in my faith, I believe. Am I finished? No. But I think because of that, God has made me something else. And I thank him for that every day. So why do we pray, lead us not into temptation? If, if, if it's not the trials and the testing that he's talking about, and God doesn't tempt us, why pray, lead us not into temptation? Any, any thoughts after we've listened to this? Maybe you, you've got something you're thinking about. I want to stop here. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Gives us a story, doesn't it? To share with someone else. And that is exactly what I struggled with this week. But I think there's still some, some light that he's talking about the negative sense here. And I think it's because of context. When we look at this word temptation, obviously it means two different things, right, in the Greek. So what I'm thinking is, okay, there's a positive sense, there's a negative sense. So what is Jesus talking about here? I think from the next line saying deliver us from the evil one, I think there's this negative sense that it's not that God's going to lead us into temptation, it's not that God is going to bring, which, which that's, I looked up the word lead, and of course it means bring. And I'm like, okay, God, what? Can I just, let, let's, just let's just think about it, practically speaking for us right now. Every single one of us is tempted, are we not? In the negative sense. I, I mean, I think about Billy Graham, 99 years old, one of the greatest evangelists in the world, one of the greatest pastors, preachers, godliest man probably that any of us know. He fought temptation. He even said, I was reading today some articles on him. He said, you know what? People think that once you become a Christian that temptation just goes away. Billy Graham preached against that. But that was not the case. So I don't think it's necessarily that we're saying, God, please don't tempt me, entice me to sin. I don't think that's what God, Jesus is saying here. But I think he knows that we're going to be tempted. And so, God, we need all the protection and help we can get. But I think this is not only just on God. I think it's also a responsibility of us too. I think there's also, and, and they talked about this, that there, there is something for us to learn from this. That, you know what? We are going to be tempted. We are going to have moments of weakness I put here um, in the middle of your, your, your handout, listen to this, because I've said this, and I said this a few years ago when I got a call. I got a phone call. 
from a dear brother that had made one of the worst decisions of his life. And it led to a worse decision and a worse decision and an even worse decision. And I got off the phone and I said this, and I might have, I might have told Pastor this one time. We're all one phone call away from making the biggest mistake of our life. I didn't look at him as going, man, he's terrible. He's such a sinner. I would never do that because we can't say that. And, and I said, I am one step away from failing at life by being enticed to sin and falling away from the presence of the Lord. Every single one of us is one step away from making the worst decision of our life and falling to temptation and being enticed to sin. I'll never forget that. And it didn't didn't start for a bad, bad reason. But it led to one thing that led to another that led to another. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. It says, let no one say when he is tempted. And we all know this verse. This is the one we we would quote if we saw, let us not be tempted. It says, I am being tempted by God. Let us not say that. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Again, context of that word. You see what I'm saying? That that sometimes in God's word, we we have to read a little bit more than just, you know, reading, oh, that's what it says, we're done. No, it says verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I love how it it doesn't say there by the devil. What does it say? Our own desire. You know why it says that? Because you go back to Romans, and in Romans chapter three, Paul talks about how every part of my body is just wicked. From my lips to my throat. Read it, chapter three. He mentions all all these things that from my heads to my toe, that I'm, I'm wicked evil and he says we're lured and enticed by our own desire then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin this is why i told students that temptation is not bad if temptation was bad then when jesus was tempted wouldn't that be bad it was what we did with that temptation is what came next it's the step that we took when being tempted and it says here in james that we are lured and enticed by our own desires Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So why say lead us not into temptation? I think right there. God, I know that today when I wake up, there's gonna be something in front of me that that maybe in my flesh or in my eyes or in my pride of my heart that that steps in the way and, and tempts me. Maybe to do something to get ahead of somebody at work Maybe I lie, maybe I steal, maybe I cheat. Maybe, maybe I look at this, this woman the wrong way. Maybe she entices me with something that I know I shouldn't. God, there's gonna be something in my life that tempts me and please deliver me from that evil and that evil one. That's good. Amen. I've got something written at the top of James, and I don't think I came up with it. I'm not smart enough. Um, But I didn't write down who said it. But um, I'm going to say anonymous. You say Brad. Brad said it. Listen to this. 
this is, this is what I wrote at the top of James. Christians that become more self-confident become less dependent on God. And you, and you could say it almost flip it. When we become less dependent on God, we become more self-confident. And I think, you know what, when we come to God in prayer, God, you know what, we need all the help we can get. I even read it this way, lead us not into temptation. But you know what? I'm going to face it, and I'm probably going to stare it right in the face, so deliver me. <laughs> but God, because I can't do it on my own. And God, this is not about me. This is not about my strength, but it's the strength that you give me. So what I wanted to do, I love this quote that Michael Katz said. I don't know if you caught this, but I wrote it down on your sheet. It says this, with the promises of God come the power of God. I thought this was perfect with Pastor's sermon that he's doing right now. We've, we talked about experiencing the presence, you know, experiencing God's presence, experiencing God's power. Part two is coming Sunday. And then I won't give you the next one because I don't think he's explained that. But, but listen to this. I added this, that we can, we, can truly, we can only truly know the promises of God and experience the power of God by being in the presence of God. Right? If I want the power of God in my life, if I want God to help deliver me from the evil one, then I need to be in the presence of God. And so to close it out in seven minutes, eight minutes, I want to give you three practical ways that I believe that we can remain in the presence of God that will help us when we pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I believe there's steps that we can take to continue to depend on God to do that in our lives. Here's, here's number one. Read the word daily. I'm convinced of this more and more and more every day that I'm alive now that we need God's word in our life. Listen, listen to Psalm 119, just one of the verses about God's word. Listen to this, and you can go to it later and check it. He says this, Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on, on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. I haven't thought about that. I was like, well, if, if the devil's my enemy, I can be made wiser by the word of God. So why would I not meditate it on all day long? And then he says this, I have more insight than all my teachers, and I meditate on your statutes, for I meditate on your statutes. Then he says this, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept, this is, this is key right here, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. How did he keep his feet from the evil path? By studying his law, by studying his commands, by studying his statutes, meditating on them all day long. I think the first practical step, if we're gonna ask God, God, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. I cannot just sit by and by and not do anything. Have you ever tried to fight temptation that way? Have you ever just your willpower? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've done this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Does that work? We need God in those moments to deliver us. To experience the promises of God and the power of God, we need the presence of God in our life. And this is how we have the presence of God in our life. Read God's word, meditated on it daily. Number two, and it's kind of funny we end with this because we've been talking about this, pray regularly. Pray regularly. 
Why wouldn't we, right? To experience the presence of God, that we go to God, the privilege that we have of even speaking to him, of even being in the presence of God, when we come to him in our prayers, again, it's not a long laundry list of things I need God to do for me, but it's just me standing in the presence of God, being still and saying, God, you are God. I am not, and I need you in my life. I have needs, I have stuff, and there's temptations right now that are stronger than I could ever imagine, but I need you in my life. Listen to David's psalm of praise and psalm of thanks. He says this in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, look to the Lord and his strength. And I love this part right here. Seek his face always. Seek his face. Not only reading and meditating on God's word to help us when temptation comes and to deliver us from that evil one, I think also having that time of daily, regularly, often, more often than not, seeking his face and his help and depending on him so that I don't become self-confident like I can handle it. Can I just say this? The times I've been tempted and I've failed are more the times where this has not been really a part of my life. Can I get an amen? Where this has been on the coffee table and all of a sudden Satan just hits me hard when I neglect the time in God's word and I neglect time seeking his face. Here's the last one. Seek accountability. Can I just tell you, I wish I could, I felt comfortable enough raising my hand asking everybody in this room if you had an accountability partner. Because I I, I think, and again, I'm not gonna ask you to say this, but I think it'd probably be um, maybe less than 50%. A true accountability partner, somebody that's asking you hard questions, somebody that's trying to sharpen you uh, to be better, Listen, if you want to fight temptation, you need to read God's word, you need to pray, but you also need godly people in your life that are pushing you. And when you fall and when you make mistakes, they can pick you up. Proverbs 27, 17, everybody knows this. As iron, go ahead and say, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But listen to these verses. 27, five and six, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And then he says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Bruises from a friend can be trusted. What? But an enemy, an enemy multiplies kisses. His kisses are misleading. See, I think what we need in our life is we need to come to God in total dependence on him saying, God, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one because he's lurking around. But God, help me. Help me to realize that your word is my strength. Seeking your face daily and your presence is what I need. And I need godly friends in my life to sharpen me and to call me out and to bruise me and to rebuke me. How many of us could use that? So much more we could say about the Lord's Prayer and and all these things. 
But my hope and my prayer is this, that through this, and as you continue to study through, that your prayer lives be transformed. Not because now you repeat the Lord's prayer before you do it every time, but because all of a sudden the lessons that we've learned, God has transformed our thoughts and perspective about what prayer is and what prayer should be. What's important to the heart of God? I think we see it right here in the Lord's Prayer. Oftentimes we think our prayers are this, and according to this, it's nowhere near it. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for the word. I thank you that we have it and that we can come to it and that we can meditate on it, God, but I thank you that it makes us wiser. God, that it gives us strength. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us to grow closer to you. That you would strengthen us, Father, and I'll walk with you. God, that even through the trials and even through the testing, Father, we would come out stronger, looking more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.